Good morning, everyone. It's Judith A. Cope. You're listening to Mad Love. Welcome to your Monday. We're almost done with uh, March of 2021, um, which is different, but still looks a lot like March 2020, except there is hope. And we are not watching Tiger King because I'll be honest, Tiger King really messed me up, man. That was some disturbing, you know, who wants to think about a world where meth heads own tigers and feed them old Walmart meat? You know, it's like, what is this? And uh, the fact that there are more um, domestically owned, you know, wild animals like that than there are in the wild. You know, I think there are more tigers owned that way then that are running around in the actual wild makes me very concerned because I don't live in the wild. But, you know, I remember I was in Ohio. Uh, I was living there when someone, I don't know, somewhere in a, a super rural part of Ohio decided to let all his animals go. And it was the weirdest thing on the news to watch, you know, the sheriff have to shoot and kill all these wild animals that were you know, literally just <laughs> traipsing across the Ohio countryside. It was very weird. But anyway, uh, I'm glad we're not watching Lion King. I'm glad March 2021, people feel, even if it's a placebo effect, I think people are feeling more bolstered by the fact that more people are getting vaccinated. Um, and, you know, it. I don't know that we'll ever be free completely of COVID. It's certainly not the psychological effects because most of us living now have never experienced, excuse me, <clears throat> experienced anything like that, you know, and it was scary. Something that you could k- kill people with. And yes, I equated all the time. I was alive during the AIDS crisis, but I, the way it was pitched and I was just very young, but the way it was pitched was like, if you're not a gay man, don't even think about it. Don't even worry about it. And uh, of course, that wasn't true. And of course, you know, uh, plenty of straight people died and the blood supply thing when people start to realize, oh, it can be in your blood. Wait a minute. You know, it was just marketed completely differently. You always sort of felt like you couldn't get it. And maybe that's just how I comforted myself as a little kid because I used to watch the news. I paid attention to the world. I was always surrounded by grownups and people talking about things that probably were above my station, but I always paid attention. So, yeah, the AIDS crisis existed, but it wasn't like people people felt safe. COVID didn't make anybody feel safe, you know, and then hundreds of thousands of people dying later, you realize, okay, this is a real thing and it can happen again. So, you know, we hopefully would be better prepared, at least psychologically, because that was insane. Anyway, I didn't mean to go off on that tangent, um, but March 2021 is almost a wrap. We've entered Holy Week. Um, I don't know if you're Christian or not, but uh, I went to a lot of Catholic school. So this week, while I don't apply it so much to religion for me at this point in my life, I do apply it to, you know, everybody has had things that have that has happened. Wait a minute. Is that wrong? That's probably wrong. English. Excuse me. And I'm choking. Everybody has had things 
that have happened to them and uh, you feel like you got knocked out a little bit, you got knocked down a little bit. Everybody's had that experience. Absolutely. So, you know, things didn't go the way you want. Your marriage failed. You didn't get the job promotion you wanted or you got the promotion, but it wasn't the pay you really wanted. Um, Someone's lying on you. Uh, someone's cheating on you. Everybody's had something, right? Those are all fine examples of things uh, that aren't great and feel like they are taking you down a peg or two. And so I use those kind of things to reflect during Holy Week and uh, look for ways that I can resurrect and uh, and and rise and ascend in my own life uh, on Easter Sunday and how I can compare Christ's journey to my own and how I can look for ways to be a better version of myself once we remove the stone. That's just me. I'm not trying to convert anybody. I'm not super religious, but I mean, you can't go to as much Catholic school as I went to and not have some indoctrination, uh, some residue. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, but that's how I apply it in my life. I look for the ways, you know, and and there have been times plenty in my adult life where I was I was not being celebrated. I wasn't being treated fairly. um, And I had to look for things, you know, positive things to to um, lift myself up, you know, because I think that's the whole point of the story is, yes, you can be tortured and crucified and and the suffering is great um physically mentally spiritually you will suffer at times in your life but it's how you respond to those things it's how you come back that's the great story um how you transcend and ascend that's the story of your life and so um yeah I've been down and out plenty. And the funny thing about me is I'll say, man, that was a tough year. And my friends will be like, really? You didn't you didn't seem like it. You know, there are some things that I have to chirp about because they bother me. And, um, you know, but I, I never really let I remember I was talking to somebody the other day and they were like, this this job is ruining my life. Like they were so upset in their job. And I'm like, can't let your job ruin your life. You got a husband, you got children. You, you, you're healthy. <laughs> you know, I always throw that out to the young people that I know, the younger uh, co-workers. You know, it's like, dude, you've got children, you've got a family. You know, I'm always throwing that out to people. Uh, there's nothing going on at a job, you know. And yeah, I know some people work in, in bad spots. I get it. Sometimes your job is terrible. I've had a ton of terrible jobs. <laughs> um but it can't be ruining your life. You know what I mean? Like nothing should ruin your life. If you're healthy and you've got other things going on, you know, a job is a is a means to an end. And if if you're unhappy, find a way to get happy. Nobody should be miserable. You shouldn't. We're not living in like some sort of she woman or he man endurance contest. Like you should be happy and you could go get another job, you know. Um, and that's easier said than done because sometimes you just absolutely love the work. And I get that, you know, but nothing should be ruining your life. And I don't know if that's just a melodramatic uh, millennial thing or, you know, because they're very different. And I feel bad for some millennials because my age is going to really mess them up because their parents are going to be those boomers are about to be. Uh, in their 70s and 80s, late 70s, early 80s. And that is nothing but dementia territory. 
and some of y'all don't have a plan. That's going to be rough, but nothing like that should ruin your life. Life is good. God is good all the time. So enjoy your Holy Week. Um, you know, just stay, stay, How whatever you use. I use spirituality and meditation, whatever you use to get centered and grounded, to launch yourself into, you know, another new year, really, because there's New Year's. A lot of you all have crapped out on that already. <laughs> You're not doing what you said you were going to do. And then, you know, now you got a, a spiritual new year. So, you know, do do what you want with it. I'm just telling you what I do. And I've got some good comeback stories. I really do. You, you know, I'm nuanced. <laughs> I don't know if you could tell on this podcast, but I got some shit going on and I'm interesting. Now we segue because I was so excited about the Tina documentary, the Tina Turner documentary on uh, HBO on Saturday. And it it was great. I mean, I have to say I was humbled because there was a point, you know, you never heard Tina talk about it herself. The book came out, but I was when that book came out, I wasn't like ninth grade or something. I wasn't about to read no extra book. That was extra reading. You know, I was reading for school, so I didn't really I wasn't going to read. And I, I'm not a big enough fan of her music to be honest, to go read a book about her, especially not when I was 13 or 14. But what what is amazing to me is I I didn't realize it at the time, but what an an honor to be a teenager at the time of such uh diverse, strong, amazing female singers. Really, I had no idea what she had come through. But right about the time I was going into high school, What's Love Got to Do With It came out. The private dancer record. And, you know, it didn't always resonate with me because I was a kid. But when I look back, I'm thinking I had the tremendous luxury of Whitney Houston, Tina Turner, who wasn't young. She was 40, I think, when she was doing that record. You know, and Madonna, who, you know, was, I guess, for that time, super sexualized, but not at the expense of at the expense of her craft. You know, she really had an image of what she wanted her career to be. And she stuck with that. She was um, a ferocious artist. And so was Tina Turner. She had a vision of what she wanted. And she was ferocious about it, especially after what she endured at the hands of Ike. And then you had Whitney Houston, who I just took her music for granted. I never realized what she was doing, like what she was the first one to do. And I guess I'm saying all that to say, it's just amazing to see all these strong. And I could keep naming people that I loved and listened to women. Charday, Anita Baker, you know, and none of them talked about their vaginas, not one. <laughs> and it's just, I didn't realize what a gift that would be. And I'm nobody's prude. I'm not. But I swear, I don't want to hear any more of these girls talking about their vaginas and, and, and how they're going to be with dudes. And that there's so much more to life and relationships than that, you know? Maybe I'm cutting them short because I don't listen to their songs, but I would hate to be a 13-year-old girl today with this music. Because music is huge to me. Music is a big part of the soundtrack of my life. And um, that's why I hate that Anchor messed up the way you could put music in your podcast. It would be 
I can't put, I can't do what they do because they would only want me to put my podcast on Spotify. Well, all my listeners come from somewhere other than Spotify. And until they pay me to be a Spotify feature podcast, I can't do that. You know, I'd be losing my audience. So anyway, not to make it about me, it's about Tina. It was amazing. Just an amazing thing. And to watch her kind of just in her own words, get away from Ike. I had no idea. So I saw the movie, right? What's Love Got to Do With It came out in 92 or 93. I want to say 93. And that was my first um, experience or knowledge of her really having such a harrowing experience at the hands of Ike, uh, Ike Turner. Um, And even though it's not a super loving, warm, fuzzy story, in the beginning it was. And uh, St. Louis is just at the cornerstone of history, you know, sometimes for good reasons and sometimes for terrible reasons. But why we don't have a Tina Turner uh, drive here uh, or you know, Tina Turner Way or some historical area dedicated to Tina and, um, you know, Chuck Berry. I don't know. And even if we just focus on Ike's music, he was instrumental. He had the first rock and roll record. So I don't know. St. Louis. Anyway, it was really she was she had a harrowing experience with him for 16 years. And you don't really know that. Um, and when you'd watch the movie, you don't realize that she was, she endured that kind of abuse on a much regular, much more regular basis than they can show in a movie, right? Like that was her every day, him popping her in the mouth, him being moody and weird, him being, you know, he was an abuser. He was an abusive man and she was trapped in a very abusive marriage and had to go out after he would whoop her and perform. And these were whoopings. This is not like a whipping. She was getting her ass whooped. It was horrible. And to hear her recount all that. And this is what I'm saying about victims. Did you notice how much she didn't want to talk about it? She gave this interview because she was hoping originally in 1981 that if she told everybody what it was like, they would finally stop grouping her together and stop grouping her together with him and stop having all these romanticized notions about who Ike and Tina were. Um, and it did the opposite of that. It just kept steamrolling. And then when she agreed to, you know, allow it to become a movie, then it even steamrolled even bigger. And she, all she ever wanted was to stop talking about him after the millions and millions of records sold and concerts put on under her own name. Because I'll be honest with you, I don't really remember an Ike and Tina. I remember Tina. She was on the radio when I was a kid by herself. And after all of that, she still had to always talk about Ike. And that's what I'm saying to you. Victims don't really want to talk. Most victims want to just be like, "Mm, I'm good. Because they don't want to keep reliving it. You know, and then I didn't realize she... And I I guess we could have, but it was a leap. Her mom left her, abandoned her. Um, We knew that part. But she did send for her when she was in about 16 to come to St. Louis because that's where she was living. So that's fascinating to me. But what I didn't really keep uh, understanding is she has a mother wound. You know, her mother and her father abandoned her. But I'm going to tell you something. If you don't have a loving mom, it can really, really and 
pardon my French, but I'm going to say it because it's true. It can really fuck you up. And everybody talks about, you know, abandonment with the dads and, you know, disappearing fathers. And it does harm you. It does. But if you're a girl and you don't have a sweet, loving mom, it's really, it's challenging. It challenges you in all your relationships because we live in a maternal society and, and, you know, and you know it when you see it because some moms are in love with their daughters. They just love them. And then some moms aren't. And if you had a mom who wasn't, it's hard on you and it really fucks you up in a way that you you can't explain. So her whole thing, she didn't feel wanted. She didn't feel attractive. She didn't feel anything. So even after all these adoring fans, I mean, that's incredible to me. It's a, it's an amazing watch. My favorite documentary ever of all time is Amy. But this one comes pretty close because you get to watch someone, you know, finally get some peace, probably in her 70s. I mean, she was pretty old when she finally got married and and settled again, you know, and she lives in Zurich and it seems like she has a good life. But that those things haunt you forever. And I hope she gets to retire and have some peace. And why was Oprah in there? I, Oprah's just everywhere. And I love Oprah. Don't get me wrong. But why is she everywhere? I don't understand. <laughs> but anyway, that's just an aside. I do love Oprah. Um, and I can't wait to sit out in the woods and have a spiritual chat with her. I just, I'm always like, wait, what's she doing in this? Anyway, uh, it's a fascinating thing to watch. Uh, Look out for Tina's mother wound, which is deep. It's deep and it just, it never has, it never wanes. And if you don't really do the work, it's hard because Tina got mad. Tina seems to be angry. And um, I know a lot of women who have uh, the mother wound. My friend Shana was the one who explained that that's what it's called. Um, But some of us got tough moms. Some of us didn't get those moms that just loved their daughters and, uh, you know, hugged you up or told you they loved you on any regular basis or gave you hugs or gave you encouragement, you know, and it, I know how tough that is. It's really, really tough. So it's an amazing story. HBO again. I love HBO. I love HBO. I'm, I interned at Warner Brothers when I was in college and even then I was an HBO fan, but they really started to send it home for me. Um, as I've gotten older, Sex and the City was one of my favorites. Not so much because of the sex. It was funny to he- to let women have a perspective on sex on TV that you'd never heard before. And a lot of it was accurate because <laughs> you just never saw it before. Um, but their friendships, you never saw four solid friendships like that before either. Um, I think that was the real, the real draw of the show for me uh, is how much they cared for each other and how they each had a different relationship with each other. And they never, you know, they had normal fights. It wasn't like crazy and bizarre. It wasn't, you know, real housewives type type of shit. It was real relationships, like the type of friendships I have. I don't, I don't, I don't know that I've had a fight with any of my friends. Um, so Sex and the City, The Sopranos, which is, I can't believe that's 20 years old now. So Sex and City, it's older than that. That's crazy. Um, I remember every Sunday sitting down to watch Sex and the City and The Sopranos and, you know, um, Six Feet Under, which I found weird, <laughs> but I watched it. Um, 
but more recently, I May Destroy You, uh, amazing, amazing, insecure, which I had to fall in love with in a different way because it's not really designed in my age group. Um, but kudos to Issa Rae for getting a deal with uh, Warner Media, a new deal. Good for her. She's actually very, very talented. And it's easy to be one note because uh, Insecure could, you know, she could easily just fall into one note. But she actually has a comedy on Netflix that was funny, too. Um, good for her. Good job, East. And uh, yeah, watch Tina. Tell me what you think. It was fascinating. I really enjoyed it. Um, and it's just about triumph and survival. And the survival of the will and the spirit. I mean, she was 70. I think she was still making records into her 70s. And she wasn't young when she was doing her comeback thing. And she never viewed it as a comeback because she was under Ike's thumb and fist. So, I mean, just an amazing story of resiliency and the power of, you know, a a determined woman. So I always want to celebrate that. And I think you should, too. It was fantastic. Thanks, HBO good job as always and when you ready i'm here i got you hbo come and talk to your girl all right so um because yeah i got i mean the wire yeah that's i feel like that's gonna be home so anyway i hope you have a wonderful monday i hope that things are going the way you want them to But if not, you have a chance. It's the beginning of Holy Week. There's a chance for you to resurrect, to rise, to ascend, to be the version of you that you want to be. You have that every day, but don't ignore the the symbolism of having it during Holy Week. You know what I mean? That's what it's for. That's why it's there, you know, so you can be inspired. Um, Yeah, I use I use the religious symbolism to to. inspire you personally, not so much as something that you can witness and say, oh, that happened to to Jesus and Jesus alone. It's supposed to happen to you too. It's an example. So, you know, listen, we're not all getting strung up on crosses. I get it. But we are, we are all having difficult times in our own way sometimes. And so, you know, it's important to be able to bounce back. It's important to be able to come back. It's important to be able to ascend. That's what we're here for, the ascension. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Because some of you guys spend a lot of time worrying about other people's problems, worrying about your own problems. That's not a solution. Worrying is not a solution. Okay? You can do this. You were designed to be on another level. You were designed to go higher. And everybody's not going to go with you. So you got to get that out of your head in the beginning. Everybody's not going to ascend with you. Everybody's not capable. Because if it was easy, they would have already done it. Be your best.